When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I'm excited. Should be a good time. Nice. Crazy weekend, bro. So much media. <laughs> what is it? Oh, oh shit. I finally got shit. some tough guys can in I, the can I, can I give you some love here from all the, you know, after years of hate? Oh, you know I, mean? guess, oh, I guess. Okay. I guess. Mean, I feel because like we're going to fucking hash it out. I here think we are. I think we are. But thank you for doing this. Nice to see you. How are you? Travel okay? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's perfect. Dude, get the get the room service. Oh yeah, yeah. it's it's, it's yeah. really really good. Where do you want me? Uh, closest to the TV. It's a piece of shit. It's comfortable. This is weird, right? This is cool. In case you want some uh, wrestling mags from the eighties. <laughs> All right, Luke, take us in when you want. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, he's the pride of Omaha, Nebraska. A UFC light heavyweight, top ranked one at that, an analyst, a whole lot more. He's also our next guest right here on Room Service Diaries. Brian Campbell, Luke Thomas, alongside the legendary Anthony Smith. The Hi, living Anthony, legend. how are you? The legendary. The living that feels legend. good. Brian yeah. Campbell, like best friend. There's no <laughs> right away. He just gets into it right away. It's a little tense I, on this side. I woke of the up. Right? <laughs> I, w I woke up this morning and chose violence. <laughs> For sure, I really did. For well, sure. Anthony Smith, I can only say uh, I'm sorry that you got in the middle of uh, just by being you. You got in the middle of this, you know, rivalry between Luke and I. And you know, you happen to be one of his favorite fighters. And you know, he doesn't give that same respect to my favorite fighters like Joanna and Cheyenne. Yes, I do. I give him all the respect. So, um, you know, maybe this, maybe I took this a little bit too far, but uh, we have big respect for you. Possibly. And by the way, you are a, a fantastic podcaster and analyst, and I don't Thank say you. that lightly. So welcome to our show. Um, you know, you, you could have put me to sleep, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't have stopped me. Well, <laughs> I, I feel like just walking into someone's house and choosing violence myself. See, he can do that. Yes. I can't do that. I got I to gotta be uh, tame. Okay. I'm house trained. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that. He cleans up well. <laughs> I try. That's right. Who dresses you when you do UFC stuff? My wife. Really? My wife. Yeah. Interesting. She usually picks out all the suits and makes sure that I don't look stupid. Does ESPN offer to do that? No. Really? No. I mean, probably for DC. Oh, okay. <laughs> probably for DC. Probably gets that special treatment. Yeah, might. they have to adjust the belt size. Yeah. yeah. I, I knew that was. Uh, what? <laughs> I knew that was coming. You can't make a DC comment these days without talking about his weight. He's got up he's a little. He's very bit happy and he's very good at what he does. Uh, we're he here for. Good. Well, this will come out afterwards. We're here for UFC 281 Fight Week. Uh, what do they got you doing? Uh, so I'm doing all the pre-show stuff. We did uh, a Thursday show. Did all the Friday pre-show UFC Live. Um, and then I just hang out, watch the fights, do some fill work if I need it, and then the post show, and then we're out. How'd you get this gig? Totally by accident. I had no intention of of doing any analyst work or broadcasting. Like, 
I'm covered in tattoos. I got ta I got a grenade tattooed on my hand. Like I never had any plan <laughs> facts. I've, to yeah. be on TV. That was never the plan. Um, I think I think I just was decent at the media days and stuff. Like I noticed that I started getting more media obligations, even though the fights I was in wasn't weren't necessarily huge fights. Mm. Um, and then when I started getting close to a title, or at least a title shot. I remember they, Zach Candido called, and John Jones was fighting Alexander Gustafson. It was supposed to be in Vegas, ended up getting switched the last rematch, second. Yeah. yeah, ended up getting changed last second. Wanted to know if I was willing to, oh, excuse me, do some desk work and, and jump on there. And I think it was really because I was going to be next in line for John. Hmm. Um, and it was an absolute shit show. It was, I was so bad. If it wasn't for Michael Bisping, I, I wouldn't be here today doing broadcasting, that's for sure. In what, in what sense? Because I didn't know any – there's not like a handbook or any kind of instructionals. Like you don't know anything about anything, and you're up there with Michael Bisping, who's been doing that a long time. Um, I think it was Gilbert Melendez was there. Mm. <clears throat> and then Karen Bryant, who – that's what she went to school for. So like I didn't understand any of the terms or the lingo or like we're in format meetings, and I'm like reading – it's this shit's like a different language to me. Like I have no idea <clears throat> what a format is or what any of that stuff means. I didn't know what a SOT was. Ooh. Yeah, I had no idea what any of that stuff was. So – I'm just lost. And then you get up there in rehearsals and it's uncomfortable. And I, again, you don't know the flow. Someone's talking to you while you're talking. So it's, it, it was just bad. So um, Michael was sitting next to me and I remember he said, you could just tell that I was just doing bad. I was struggling through the rehearsal. Uh, and he said, stop trying to follow along. Just listen to the conversation. Uh, yeah. And if you ever get lost or, or, or lose your, you know, place or, or get uncomfortable, just look at me and I'll pick it up right away. I always have something to say. Mm. So like, I think just feeling that safety net that, that Bisping would save me if I ever got lost, uh, helped me a lot. It really that was a solid bro move for sure. And I yeah. use that to this day with the the guys that come on, like whether it's like when Kiesa first started or, um, Bilal or Alan, I've always taken that exact same thing and said it to them. Like, if you ever get lost, just look at me, uh, and, and I'll save you. That is nice. I mean, what, I will had say that B BC does that for me with boxing a little bit mm -hmm. because I missed so many years covering. I used to cover it, then I went away for a long time, and then I got back to it. It is like it's when he's there, I know that like the anchor boxing analysis right. is covered. You know right, you're mean? not going to sink. I don't. I don't have to be the guy that has like the great boxing point. I know that we're going to get one, so it puts a little bit less pressure. Yeah, Luke allows right. me to be a shameless, filthy casual in MMA. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great deal, just the same. But no, we give you credit for for how you've adjusted, and there seems to be. It's weird. We have this soft podcast rivalry that's not a real thing about you know me. Because one time I said you versus Ryan Spann was the worst UFC main event of all time, and I was just trying wow. to piss him off, and that was it. Wow. That was all I was trying to do. I don't even to remember you saying you that. You said that. Yes. When reality is um, Derek Lewis in Albany against Sharir uh, Akhmedalov was... Uh, Abdurakimov? Yes, there you go. Thank you. Uh, well, that was wow. really the, the worst one, uh, or that Jessica I won recently. But, okay, enough of that. The point is that, um, <laughs> that uh, you know, that's not even real. But what was my actual point? I was going to say, oh, I got it now. But what everybody always says is BC, like, you know, you're really just clowning on Luke when you made some Anthony Smith cracks. The reality is Anthony Smith represents <clears throat> BC what you're all about. Factory Town Toughness. We make up this fake MMA promotion, Factory Town MMA. They're like, he should be the poster boy. So my point on this long rant is to set up that you have been able to adapt in and out of the cage to life's curveballs to mm -hmm. you start this announcing accidental gig and you're like, man, I can't even do this, but look at where you are today. You were five and six as a professional yeah. fighter riding a four-fight losing skid, yet went on to fight for the UFC championship. Mm -hmm. 
There's a common thread there of adaptability or maybe it's being overlooked or maybe it's just not giving up. What is it? How, how are you where you are today? Because it's all kind of like, you're right, this guy with these tats in, in, in 13 losses or whatever is knocking on all these doors. Yeah, I don't really know what it is to be honest. I just never stopped. I, I never felt, I, I never felt like even in those losses that I wasn't good enough to be there. It was always like I was missing one piece of the puzzle. Like I never got in there with someone and then lost and then afterwards, <clears throat> excuse me, never got in there and felt like, wow, that guy's so much better than me. I, I can't hang with that guy. Even John Jones, I, like I never, I can beat that guy. And it's just, as I continued to just make small little tweaks, then I would get closer and start beating better guys. And, and I just never had a whole lot of opportunities to go back and fight some of those other guys that had beat me previously to like really get a gauge on where I was at. But I just, I think sometimes I'm too stupid to quit. Uh, I, I think that I, I don't have a backup. I never set myself up with a plan B. So like plan B was enforced plan A. And I just kept, just kept grinding. And, and I think I said this to John, Afterwards, we kind of were going back and forth, and I had said something like, no matter what, I'm going to end up a world champion. And, you know, John Jones said something, well, not as long as I'm here. I said, I, I'll just fucking wait till you're gone. Like, I'll just be here longer, you know? And, and that's my mindset. I'll just keep, I'll just keep going, and, and eventually, if I hit my head, if just run myself in a wall long enough, I'll get through it eventually. I mean, you've been able to reinvent yourself as a fighter, and now you've kind of set up this accidental second career. Mm -hmm. I mean, are, you, who knows what, what you would have become <coughs> after a fighter, maybe become a trainer, maybe a gym owner, maybe just a regular guy. But it seems like it, I had wouldn't, no be, plan. it wouldn't be a forced, no uncharmed life if you didn't have the work ethic and have at least mm -hmm. some kind of vision. But maybe it's what you're saying, a lack of vision at times for saying, you know, some people look at the obstacles ahead of them. A five and six fighter might, mm -hmm. might just give up. Yeah, but you kept Most going, and and so you know you're more like someone I'm trying to be like than someone I'm trying to rail against. So I I think that there's a somewhat of like a people's champion vibe to you, and I and I, I think you. you should embrace that. You know, I, I try to. I, I think I'm more blue collar than a lot of fighters, especially guys like in the top five or guys that are or people that are you know working the desk. I think people relate to me better because I'm from Nebraska. I don't hang out with athletes for the most part. I'm I'm not. I don't know, I'm not super bougie or, or act like that, I guess. And so I think that's what draws people to me. Um, and, and, and I've just always gone, I've just never had another plan. So I just yeah. kept continuing to do what I'm doing now. I think I made it a long ways not being good, though. I think that helped a lot. Like, I beat a lot of guys. I had no business beating as far as where my skill set and my abilities were, just in pure toughness. So I was already pretty far along before I actually started getting good. So I, I had already, yeah, yeah. I, I had already like outkicked my coverage way before. And then I started getting good. And I think that that's where like the reinventing has come from. Like, I, I don't even know if it's necessarily reinvented myself. I just actually started getting good. Your ability was catching up which, which was with, with where I was, which created certain time frames where you were able to bust out on these win streaks because mm -hmm. you were just making leaps in it. But like, I mean, you fought on strike force, you fought in Bellator. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you were have, like, you have the rare uh, UFC resume where you fought in Bellator, strike force and UFC. Yeah. Not many guys can say that. Mm -mm. It, I wouldn't have planned it that way. That's for sure. I only ended up in Bellator because I got cut from the UFC after one fight, right? Mm -hmm. The, yeah. uh, the, the, the Braga Neto fight. I yeah. Yeah. That blew my knee defending a, uh, knee bar. Why do they only give you one? They usually give guys three. Oh, well, I'd lost my last strike force fight too. Cause I just, oh, I had right. fought, um, Hodger Gracie, uh, in Oklahoma city in the last strike force event. So then I was, it was essentially back-to-back -back losses under Zufa. Okay. Let, let, let's back up a step here. Like what would you say was the first real corner you turned in your career 
where you were like, okay, I'm getting better at this? What was the first change or event or moment? Um, probably the Elvis Mutopchik fight. That was UFC. Yeah. 185 still though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I struggled my way through the regional scene. Like I, I think just my toughness and I think a lot of it is like, like, I think I had a little bit of an aura on the, on the regional scene after a while where I just, I did not give a shit. Like I was, I was going to make it. I was going to figure it out and I didn't care what I had to do to get there. So I think, I think I beat a lot of those guys before we even got there. Um, but once I once I got to the UFC, obviously none of that stuff matters anymore. So once I got back, I had some ups and downs with the Cesar Fajaya fight. And but once I fought Elvis, I was really starting to figure it out. Like I I was able to. It was probably the first time I'd like consistently through an entire fight outstruck a striker. Um, and he was a guy that I had watched coming up and was always a little bit iffy about if I was going to be able to stand with a guy like that. And I was able to. So I think mentally that's where I was like, okay, like I'm. I'm figuring the striking thing out for sure. Cause I've never claimed to be a striker. I never, I've never called myself a striker. I've always been a jujitsu guy. So um, I think that was probably the, as far as big moments, I think it was probably the first one. So what was happening in your life at that time? Was there any, like even professionally in terms of cha uh, training, was there anything in the, on the, on that side that coincided with this or was it just accumulative? Yeah, I think, well, some of it's just maturity. I think I've always been a late bloomer. Um, and I, uh, I was working with a guy that he's uh, legendary in Omaha. His name is McDoyle. Um, McDoyle grew up in Dublin. Um, he actually does a lot of like seminars and uh, I don't kind of mentors John Cavanaugh a little bit. Um, so he goes back and forth from Omaha to Dublin. Um, so I was working with him a lot, and he was a multiple-time world champion Muay Thai guy. So he really helped me figure out the clinch part of my game, so that I wasn't I didn't have any middle area. Like it was either striking from the outside or wrestling. So I didn't have that middle area. So he really—he's the one who kind of developed my elbow game. Hmm. Uh, when did and how long had you been working with him at that point? Uh, that was probably like our third fight together. Okay. So, yeah, good dude. I still stay in contact with him to this day. Right. He doesn't really train fighters anymore though. So that's one big milestone. What was the next one? Because I feel like you've had at least two or three of them. Um. The next time you felt like you had leveled up was it the back to back? Shogun Rashad wins. I was gonna say when I moved to 205. Yeah. When I moved to 205, I, I, I think that changed everything. Just the, not always focused on the weight cut and being miserable and hating my life. Like I, I was at the point where I was like, I'm moving up to 205 or I'm gonna retire. I can't, I can't do these weight cuts anymore. Um, and I was, it wasn't, it was, I wasn't getting anything out of it. There was no returns. Um, so I, once I was able to like go into fight, like my first fight week I ever like enjoyed was when I was getting ready for Rashad. I, I didn't understand like how fun fight weeks could be and how enjoyable it could be. Like as I was just miserable every single fight week I've ever had. So because I think that, weight? yeah, I, I think that changed a lot. Yeah. We, as media guys, we learned that like, like getting exclusives on fight week for interviews are not necessarily like slam dunks right? because you don't know how hungry that dude is by the time you get to him. Right. Uh, I remember one time they don't do this anymore, but I remember, I think it was, do you remember when Habib fought or was going to fight Tony? And I was um, on the same card in Vegas as the rematch between Tyron and Wonder Boy. Yeah. At the, the whole tiramisu incident. I saw. 209 Habib, is it? I think, I think that's right. I saw Habib at the media day before the weigh-ins. Yeah. I had never seen a fighter with cotton mouth that bad. Really? Never in my Just life. White shit like, corners of yeah, his mouth. Yeah, and he couldn't, it couldn't, he, and he had no energy to even wipe it. Like, he just looked yeah. like, like, it was awful. Turns out those edibles are the shit, right? <laughs> you will do things that are just so embarrassing when you're cutting weight, like looking back on it, you're like, I cannot believe that. But like. Like what? 
I, I can't tell you how many times I just in total public places, like checking my weight and stuff, like just ass out, just completely naked, not giving a shit who's around. Like there is no <laughs> BC does that here. In the <laughs> <laughs> There's no modesty at all. Like laying on the floor, or, like sucking the cold air out from under the door of the sauna, just to have a little bit of relief, that, just enough to keep you in there. Like, damn, you ever seen the floors of public saunas? Disgusting. Just laying there with your face on the floor just so you can get a little bit of cool air coming out from under the door. Christ, it's precious. What's the worst cut you ever had? Uh, Tiago Santos, for sure, in Brazil, my last one. Walk me through it. Well, it was everything I could do to get to 205 on check-in day. So I was already cutting to get to a manageable weight for fight week. So I showed up to fight week miserable already. Um, so I was probably checked in at 206, 207. Um, and then as you go throughout the week, you're just, you know, cutting it and struggling. And the night before is the most somber, like, it's like you're walking to your funeral. That's what it feels like. Like, you know that this is going to be 12 hours of hell. Because it's typically how long my weight cuts took. So we would start at, I don't know, 5 or 6 at night. And it would take me till 5 or 6 in the morning to, to get on weight. Um, and it was just... There was supposed to be a hotel close to us that had like a bathtub so you could alternate between the sauna and the bathtub. Um, turns out they had no bathtubs um, or the water, hot water wasn't working in that hotel or something like that. And so I had to do it all in the sauna. I think I had like 12 pounds or 11 pounds the starting at the like the first big cut. And it just, it was, it was awful. And I mean, I was, I was at the point where probably the last year, like I wasn't able to stand for longer than 60 seconds or so. So if it this was... This is like barbaric, man. And I know this is the reality of the game, but... Oh, yeah. And mine aren't the worst I've ever seen. They're, they're like, if I had a 10-minute walk from my hotel room to the to the scale, it would take me 25 or 30 because I'd have to walk a little ways and then kneel and then walk a little ways and kneel and everyone would have to surround me because, like, the chances of me passing out were, like, 70 30 that i'm gonna pass out on the way there so what, what were you eating on fight week like nothing, nothing right really nothing really just like 500 calories a day or something yeah, not a lot like just a, enough to stay alive so here's a layman's question if you go through a hellacious cut like that which many of our favorite fighters do on the regular and then you make weight how quickly does it all come back and does does it ever feel like it all comes back your like, energy like a, your awareness you're all like a week like, you never feel normal afterwards. So and that's why I feel so stupid looking at it now. Like, what the hell were you doing? Like, why Why were you doing I, I just never understood, like, afterwards I could never make sense of it. At the time, it was just like, this is what we do. This is yeah. normal. But um, the Tiago one, I remember standing on the scale and seeing 186 and telling myself, I'll never fucking do this again. Like, I'll, I'll quit this fighting thing. I'll go get a real job. I'll go back to construction. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Like, I'm either going to not fight or I'm going up. So at that point, I, I, it was to the point where I stopped even caring about the fight. Where like, it, like I would make the weight and I was kind of just indifferent with the fight. Like I had put so much energy into the fight with the scale yeah. that the actual fight didn't even matter to me anymore. Look, we don't know shit about mm -hmm. what, what they go through mentally. And I know any fighter, and sometimes fighters can go too far with this, but they'll always say, look, you know, if you're not a fighter, you just don't understand. Well, they're right. They and don't. They're 100% they're right, but they're... 200% right when you hear the the details and the information of what you guys, for some people, it's just a normal fight week. That's what we do. Like mm -hmm. you said, man, I mean, 
I mean, look, I'm pretty miserable to deal with if I don't get a good night's sleep. You know? <laughs> What's the worst weight cut you've ever seen, <clears throat> seen where someone still won? You're just like, wow, I cannot fucking believe they did that. Um, I know that's oddly specific. But. That is. That is. I, I don't know if I could even answer that because now I don't really cut. Um, you know who cuts a lot of weight that no one really realizes? I don't even know. He'll probably be pissed if I say this. Tim Means. Tim Means cuts a lot cuts of weight. Lot He's of got weight. a lanky frame. Yeah, Tim Means cuts hard to get to 70. Um, in that, I I spent a lot of time with him that last cut with Tiago. And, I mean, he was with me the, pretty much the whole time. I mean, it took him just as long as it took me. Jesus. Yeah, he's got a heavy cut. But you never see him. He never looks bad. Like I don't. He, th- I, I, I don't I, he's tougher than I am, for sure. Well, I was going to say, I, I don't recall him being a chronic weight misser. No. From what I can remember. No, and he's not, like, crazy muscular. No. So that's probably part of his problem is he, does, he doesn't have a bunch of muscle mass that's holding a lot of water that just shakes it. Dustin Jacoby cuts pretty hard, too, but it, it's really easy for him. Like, he... I've never seen a human sweat like that. Like I've seen, I've seen Jacoby cut seven pounds in an hour like it's nothing. Jesus. Yeah. I've seen like four in an Like hour. not really working hard either. Like he'll just hit mitts, wear sweatpants, and it just, it just shake, he'll just right shake off. seven. Yeah. And some people just got it. You yeah, know, it is crazy. what it is. All right, so you go to 205, and your first fight at 205 was which one? Rashad. Rashad. Yeah. But that was a short fight. Yeah. So sure you felt better, but it went your way pretty much the entire way. Yeah. Uh, then you had the Shogun fight. Mm-hmm. Through two of those, it must have dawned on you, like, oh, wow, like, yeah. everything about this is, this is way different. better. Yeah. yeah, this is different. Uh, I was able to... Well, you must have felt like a striker, finally. Well, I was able to spend training camps actually training and not in fat camp. So it wasn't... Yeah, yeah. I was able to do a lot... Anytime that I was... Anytime that I'm skill building now, I would be running or doing conditioning or doing weight cutting stuff instead of working on a specific skill or, or trying to sharpen up my jab. <clears throat> So I was able to get more time just skill building and getting better and not so much trying to get skinnier. Um, so that made a big difference. And then I think just mentally being clear and not – like you, I spent an entire training camp, like you check your weight in the morning, then you check it in the afternoon, you check it before bed, you go back to sleep, and you're like, oh, well, I only lost two pounds overnight. So then you're stressing about it the whole time. So you're never actually – I only had about – 12 hours or, or, or 18 hours to like really focus on my opponent. So it was like, once I got off the scale, like, okay, now I can worry about the fight. But it wasn't until I got, I made the weight that I could worry about the fight. So now I was able to spend entire training camps focused on the actual person and not the, my weight cut. That has to make a monster difference. Huge. I think we saw that, right? You know, so like, you are now, you do all of your camps at factory X. How, where, where, what's your, what is your sense of, what is your affiliation these days? Um, so I, did, I've done all of them starting with the Andrew Sanchez fight up until the last one, which I did mostly mostly at home just because circumstance. But, um, yeah, I've been at Factory X since 2017. Is your plan to go back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so was that a level up partnership as well? Yeah. It, Mark had a much different style, a way different style than I was used to. I, I've always kind of been the, the grinder, really gritty, ugly type of fighter where you just kind of, force the action and make it ugly. And that's where I kind of breathed that, like lived and breathed. Mark is very technical and really clean. Like think of a, like a, I don't know, a Brandon Royville, you know, maybe not so much Brandon because he's not as clean, but he's very, it's very, it's less about like power and more about volume. So Mark is very volume heavy. A lot of stance switches, a lot of. Chris Gutierrez this weekend. Exactly. That's, that's Mark's style. So 
it's not my style, never has been. So Mark did a good job without trying to change who I already was and adding in just a new set of skills. And I think that helped a lot. And he's a great mentor. Like he's a, he's a good leader. So it, it takes a lot of the work out of it for me. Like I don't have to worry about watching film or game planning or I just do what I'm told. And he's good at telling people what to do. Are there any moments along your career? Cause it's been so <clears throat> like, um, it's not a surprise. I don't think that's quite right. But like, you know this, we talked about this on the show. You see guys like Habib coming mm -hmm. and everything about their success feels inevitable. John Jones. Like it's just, I mean, Islam. the storm is coming. You can just find a place to get rained on or not. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but yours was, I don't think it was ever preordained in that way. Right. So in thinking of it that way, were there moments early in your career looking back where you're like, why the fuck was I doing it this way? Besides the weight, in terms of like where to be, what camp you should have been in, the most how to it. pick fights, all that stuff. Most of it. Most of it. I I did everything the wrong way. <laughs> I, everything. Like I didn't I didn't seek out, I don't know, high-level training early enough. Um, I think what I had for a long time was perfect. I, I had a crazy room of guys for a long time. It was Jason Brills, Ryan Jensen, Houston Alexander, Jake and Joe Ellenberger. Like it was a good, it was a good room. Mm. Um, but I think once I outgrew that, I, I, I didn't go anywhere else fast enough. Um, and those guys were like retiring and they were moving around and whatever. But um, I think I stuck around too, too long close to home. Um, obviously the weight cut stuff. Um, I took a lot of really bad fights early. Um, I, I was just in situations I shouldn't have been in. Just personal life-wise, I made a lot of bad – I mean, I fucked it all up the whole time. <laughs> like, I, I, I think I made every wrong decision you can make in this sport. Along the way, and I think we can relate to, to stuff like this on the, the, just from the standpoint of grinding and trying to climb, financially, like, how hard is it when you're kind of bouncing around promoting? You know, you had – you're in Strike Force, you're in Bellator, you're trying to catch on, you had a UFC fight before. <laughs> how close were you literally to the point where you're like, I can't afford to keep this dream alive? Uh, all the time. I mean, I, I I couldn't afford it until I could. I mean, it was you know I I I just ran myself into debt, and it, if it wasn't for my wife, again, like I, there's a lot of people that have come in and out of my life that have really played a, like a, a instrumental part of my success, and and my wife is one of them. When I when I met her, I wasn't working. I was just it was just me I had to take care of. So like the little shit money I was making on the regional scene was okay, um, and then I met her, and and she essentially took care of me for like two or three years while like while I was grinding and then I got signed to the UFC and of course in my head I'm like I'm, I made it like I'm gonna be okay now and then I get cut right away um so then I had to get a job so I was a concrete finisher uh, up until the Elvis Mutopchik fight when I got my first bonus I was working 40 or 50 hours a week uh pouring concrete and training full-time look this is my guy right here yeah yeah. This, this yeah, is, you've been wrong for a I've long time. I've been wrong time. on this. Yeah. You know, now it's, now it's time for you to come clean on Ioana, just on the flip side, okay? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've been wrong this whole time, too. Have you ever heard the the uh, spaghetti story? You guys ever heard me tell that? No, I don't think so. Uh, so my wife was pregnant with our first kid. So this was 2000, 2011, like October of 2011. And it was just her and I, and she's eight months pregnant. We're about to have this baby. And I am broke. Like broke, broke, and I, I was getting ready to fight. Um, God, that Russian, that Chechen dude, that was his name. Oh, Ramzan Kadyrov, yeah. <laughs> no, no, his like his best friend though. I don't know. I don't. I don't anyways, anyways, so uh, some Russian cat in Strike Force, and we're like so broke, and we like we're hungry, like, but we don't have any money, so we like scrounge up all this change and stuff, and like, <coughs> out, of, out of our car, cup holders, and in the house, 
and like we're gonna use this change to go get spaghetti. So we go to this grocery store. It's like I don't know, ten o'clock at night, and I am so embarrassed, like feeling so down and such in a terrible place that I'm like, because I'm like I have this pregnant girl with me that I'm supposed to be taking care of, yeah. and we can't even afford to eat, and like we're gonna buy spaghetti with change. I was so embarrassed that I couldn't go in with her. I sent her into the grocery store, Dang. eight months pregnant, to buy spaghetti with change. I don't remember sitting in the car like, I gotta fucking figure this out. Like I gotta figure this out. I gotta I gotta make this work. So that's like my, I'll never go back to like buying spaghetti with change. That'll never happen. And that's I think that's a lot of the reason I do the things that I do now. And you were how old when that happened, roughly? I've been 22. Wow, yeah. Jesus, that is a sobering moment, man. Yeah. Now, Pat Barry had a similar story. Remember his fight? I think it was the fight with Chet Congo. He went into that fight. I could be getting this wrong, but I remember what was so big about it was that he had gotten two bonuses at the time when they were breaking him out, performance and KO. Mm -hmm. So I think he got both of those bonuses at the time. Both were 70. So yeah. that would have been 140. And I think he made like another 30 on top, something like that. Um, so he got paid that night, but he had to do that camp on uh, ketchup and rice. Wow. Was that the story where he it was he was happy to get to fight week because he got the per diem and that's yes. like he yes. didn't have any money, so he's talking exactly about right. the per diem. Yes, correct. Because they used to give it to us in cash. And all he could afford was he had a bottle of ketchup in the house and he had a bag of rice Damn. to make the rice. Wow. Dude, can you imagine trying to fuel yourself for a fight camp that's on a lot ketchup, of rice he's on cornstarch <laughs> and all that shit? Like like and corn syrup, excuse me. Like it's just it's uh it's just No, but I relate like I've been uh, there were times I've been on TV, not getting paid for it. <laughs> eligible for the food pantry in my town and you're like you know my wife's just like just just you know swallow your pride and let's go do this, this is where we are right now you know what i mean you're like i can't do that mm -mm. I can't do that yeah. i can't do that and you have to teach it's the most yourself, embarrassing moment of my life yeah and you know you have to teach yourself to to take that l when it's time and learn from it but um man the people that make it more often than not, man, they had to they had to yeah. go through hell to make it. So I can appreciate where you are. But I, you know, it's it's funny. Just as much as it's a great story that you worked your way into a title opportunity, which you mm -hmm. did, I don't I give you almost more respect for after that, suffering some fairly devastating losses against killers and being at an age at a certain point in your career, you could have just been a one-hit wonder and kind of went away. But maybe it's the story of your career. You never stop trying to get better. And you've you've gotten to a point to where you are now. That, okay, you still trade wins and losses time to time, but like you're you know you're two three wins away from being right back there right now. So yeah. it's like you've never gone away. Staying staying has got to be even harder than than getting to right. Oh, way harder. It's way harder. And it, it, avoiding that John Jones curse, I, I think, is you know like Reyes hasn't done well since the John Jones yeah. fight. Tiago Santos hasn't done that well since the John Jones fight. Um, I'm not got sure. Fat, you know, just... oh DC, he <laughs> DC's done great, I suppose. But DC figured know, it out. But Gustafson yeah. hasn't done, didn't do fantastic. No. Um, so I, I think just although avoiding you played that, a role in that too. Yeah, yeah, he's a nice guy though. Yeah, he's a nice guy. I like that guy a lot. That was a big moment for me too. Yep, I remember that. I was in the Equinox gym trying to squeeze in a workout on my phone, trying to catch the results when that was going down. I remember that very distinctly. That was that was wild. The Shogun one and that one were like the real weird ones for me. When you say weird, you mean like afterwards, like holy shit, I speed Alexander Gustafson. <laughs> like that was like like I did that. I you know, that. fighters always tell me this bullshit. Like I don't, I never even contemplate losing. I gotta tell you, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe I that. I don't think they intentionally include it as part of like a 
projection or meditation. Mm-hmm. No. But it does have to creep in your mind, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, you do wrestle with like, what if? What if I get knocked out? What if they land this? What if they, whatever. Or like, it's. It, I think typically it breaks down more specifically than that. Like, what if Alexander Gustafson hits me with that uppercut? Like, it's. it comes, like, I remember thinking about it and then checking it out of my head. Like, well, who gives a shit? I didn't come here to win. Like, I didn't go, I didn't go to Sweden to get a win. It was nice that I got one, but that wasn't my, that wasn't, that wasn't the, that wasn't plan one. That wasn't plan A. That was just a byproduct of what I wanted to do. What did you want to do? I just wanted to punch somebody. I was so mad about the John Jones fight. I think I said it that week in the media too, and I think everyone had this huge uproar that Anthony Smith just went here to get a paycheck or something. But I didn't go there with the plan to get a win. I just wanted to perform and feel good about my performance. And if that meant that I got a win, then great. But um, I had just I just fought John Jones. I just got crazy paid. I was just coming off a title fight. So I remember thinking, like, who gives a shit if I lose? Like, fuck it. I just want to go punch Alexander Gustafson in the face a lot. That's why I fought the way I fought. Like, I was, I was throwing wild haymakers and just walking him down because I didn't give a shit about winning. I just wanted to show up. That was... I just didn't in the John fight, and it just drove me crazy. Yeah, but then when the gears shifted and you had his back, well, then well, then you were like, oh fuck, like okay, we can yeah, do like this we're here. here, yeah, we're here. Well, I, I remember he got a takedown early, and I was like, you. I remember being so pissed about it. Not pissed that I got taken down, but like it was getting in the way of the firefight that I was trying to get into. Mm. Um, and then when I ended up on it, he shot again, and then I ended up on his back. Like, why? Well, I guess I'll win while I'm here. You know, like, <laughs> this wasn't the plan, but I'll take it. What are your emotions then when he fouls you and there's this whole, like... Talk about John? Yeah, yeah. there's this whole moment where, you know, you could have become Yeah, dude, the you, could have, you could have backdoored the championship. And yeah. I always we be talk like, about it on the show. I, and I always give you respect for not doing it because I, I recognize in the moment that it was the competitor in you that was like, I don't want to do it this way. Mm-hmm. But you also got injured and fouled, so yeah. what are you thinking in that moment? Uh, I don't think I was thinking a lot, to be honest. I, it never even crossed my mind to to not continue or or what I can't do, what I can never do, is say I can't do it. Like I can't. In order for me to have, even if I wanted to to take the title that way or or get the DQ or get out of there, or whatever whatever you know th- that looks like, I would have had to say it out loud when they said, "Are you okay?" I would have had to have. It would have had to have come out of my mouth. No, I'm not okay. I've never said that. I've never said it. No matter how okay I was or wasn't, whether it was the Glover to Sheriff fight or the knee from John Jones or yeah, you could have quit in the Glover fight. No one would have been mad at you. And yet, but you have to say it, and I yeah. can't say it. I, I I cannot bring myself to say it, even if I'm thinking it. Dude, I gotta say, say you're the only guy I know who's handed his teeth to a sports referee <laughs> to hold during competition. Hold these motherfucking teeth, bro. <laughs> like what? I gotta tell you, that's like you. You realize that's a little crazy. I mean, you know, I love you, but that's fucking crazy, right? It didn't seem crazy at the time. Seemed pragmatic, I guess. Hey, hold these fucking teeth. I'm gonna need these what? later. They were kind of rolling around in my mouth, and Glover hit me with like a shot from underneath, and they popped out. And I remember they were just on the ground, and I, for whatever reason, I grabbed them. I was like, why the fuck did I pick those up? Because now they're in my hand, and I kind of need it. So I was like, Herzog! And just handed it. it didn't <laughs> seem weird. Like, it was just like, now they're in my hand, and I don't want them in my hand anymore. So I just gave them to the ref. Glover, Glover's got a little steam on those punches, huh? He's heavy-handed for sure. Right? Was, were there you was not a point... surprised when he won the championship? Was I surprised? Were you? Yeah, well, I asked, were you not surprised given that you, you no, know, I wasn't su- before that? No, I wasn't surprised at all. I wasn't surprised after being in there with him. I wasn't surprised that he beat Tiago Santos. Um, I thought that the Blahovich fight would have, would probably go the way that it did. Um, 
and honestly, I, I, he made the Yuri fight way harder than it should have been. He should beat that guy nine times out of ten. He had his back a gazillion times, had right. him out a gazillion It's the only times. time I've ever seen Glover make real terrible decisions. Right. Yeah, usually he's pretty – he's did, pretty especially in jiu-jitsu. Yes. They both kind of got drunk on the, the craziness of yeah. that fight, I think. Yeah. They both I, was, I was mad at Glover during that fight. Like, where the hell was that guy – when I fought, <laughs> yeah, like there was no Why bad decision. Why weren't you down for this kind of shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we're fucking throwing. Like when he was, he was very, very good on top. He was, he was. He's one of the few guys, man, who like and Mount is coming back. He's always had a good mount. Always, you know what I mean? Like yeah. once he gets there, he holds that shit. Yeah. You know, even in half guard, like I'm, I'm pretty good for my back. I'm pretty good at, at creating space. And I mean, he had me, he had me stuck, stuck. I feel like I'm probably one of the few guys he hasn't sliced and diced through on the ground. Was able to slow him down and at least keep him in place for the majority of the fight, but um, he was tough on top. So then watching the the Prohaska fight, like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> that is not how. That is not you, because I got the goddamn monster, yeah, the, the Terminator that won't go yeah. away, yeah. Um, He's playing with house money and just kind of going out there like, yeah, let's do it. Dude, you want to fight? We've been talking you. about this. You get these boxers or MMA fighters, either one, mm -hmm. right around 40, if they're still doing it, they just stop giving a fuck. Man. Yeah, <laughs> and that's dangerous. That? They just stop giving a fuck. They'll yeah. do whatever. They don't care. And it's not like I, – I, I saw a similar twist for different reasons with Chris Lytle. Remember him back in the mm -hmm. day when he became the the bonus collector? Yeah. Just out here not, not giving a fuck yeah. about Doesn't what care. happens. you know. And that's dangerous. That's that's super dangerous. That's and I think I had a little bit of that in the Gus fight, and I think that's why it worked for me. Yeah. Um, but you can't be like that all the time. It's not going to always work. But um, yeah, I was real mad about that. So do you have? Over. I'm gonna a two parter here. Do you have a favorite win? So something you're most proud of, but also a loss that just really eats at you. You got one of those? I think the Shogun win is my favorite for sure, by far. He still had gas in the tank at that fight too. He's, he still was. Well, and I was legitimately a fan of his that night. It was the weirdest thing. I was in the octagon, and his music hit those speakers. And I remember, like, for a second, I was like, oh, God, Shogun's fighting. Like, I was pumped. I was like, <laughs> oh, here? shit, he's coming for me. I've got great seats for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was, so I, I had to turn it off really fast. Like, no, 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 we can't do that. Um, but he was so, he was so stoic the whole time. Like, he was exactly as you would have expected him to be. Very nice, very polite, but not overly nice and polite. Like, he, right. he wouldn't speak to me. You know, it was a lot of, like, handshakes and head nods. And, and even afterwards, like, when I was leaving for the, the hotel, like, we had a lot of conversations with nothing being said. It was, I, I don't know, I was really grateful uh, for those interactions with Shogun. And the, the loss is obviously John Jones for sure. If I get beat fair and square and it's just you were better that night, I'm okay with that. The Glover fight doesn't even bother me. I don't even think about it. Like, it, I've never lost sleep over it. So I, what's your issue with your performance specifically in the John fight? I just didn't show up. And John Jones is is beatable. He's very beatable. He's – I'm going to get roasted online for this, but he's not that good. That's, he, in, that's an interesting quote. Yeah, that's, that's – he's, he's pretty fucking good. <laughs> not, he might be the Not individually. Player. Like, if you take his individual skill sets and you take them away – each one of those things are not a problem. It's when you put them together and he puts it into the full package yeah. that it's the, pro it's the problem. His, his fight IQ is not crazy high. He's well coached and he does what he's told very, very well. Like if Winkle John, when I fought him, if Winkle John wasn't saying anything, John goes into a holding pattern. His holding patterns is, is the same. It's his stance switches, it's the oblique kicks, it's the front kicks to the body. And then once they start talking in code, then John goes and does what he's supposed to do. And then he comes back to his holding pattern. 
he doesn't actually make any decisions on his own. Hmm. It's he's very well, and Boy, that's, that's a credit. And that's a credit to him. Yeah, I was gonna say also there is that's some, a credit to him. Well, yeah, isn't there something a little bit good to say about that that he the oh, coach, I'm, I'm not saying the like coach it's a negative. and the fighter are listening to one another. Yeah, I don't think it's a negative, but okay, it's. Okay. You, I mean, in his chin and in willpower and and oh, he's a dog. Recuperative sure. ability. He's a, he's, he's, a, a dog. he's a ten out of a ten. But if you take his boxing and just like if John and I were to just box, I, I don't think he's the goat. Like I think we have a very competitive striking match. If we're just doing. No gi jiu-jitsu. Like, I don't think John Jones beats me in a jiu-jitsu match. Wrestling, he probably wins that. But it's, it's not the individual skill set that he has. It's the way that he puts it together. It's his range and his distance management. He is a dog. He's got a lot of physical gifts that he uses very well. But like his 84-and-a-half-inch reach, non-issue. It's a total non-issue. I wasted an entire training camp worrying about it. And when Why he, is it a non-issue? Because he doesn't box like that. He doesn't use it right. upper body. His range is the problem from the waist down. It's, he uses his feet really well to get out of the way. He switches stances as he retreats. So he's so long and tall that instead of shuffling back, he switches and steps back right. because he's so comfortable in both stances. Right. How is his kicking? It's good. <laughs> it's good. His, his kicking game is good. I had a, like a dead spot in my stomach for like two years where he front kicked me so many times to my belly button that it like killed the nerves there. Oh, my God. And then as they started to like come back to life, I would just out of nowhere be sitting there and feel like my whole stomach was on fire. Yeah, see, <laughs> similar to my libido post vasectomy. To be yes, the three yeah. needles which traumatized yeah. me. We were all quite aware. <laughs> yeah, this is what I mean when fighters tell me like, "Yeah, John Jones is not that good." Also, I had a dead spot in my body because <laughs> yeah. of him. It's like you know what I'm saying. Like it's a well, little hard I mean, to. I think maybe I I speak. I don't know. In, in absolute, you pop the yeah, you pop the, the, yeah. the production. Yeah, I, th I think it, maybe I speak in absolutes. Like he's. It's it's not like he does one thing that is so give me an would make him like guy, a specialist. So give me an example of like Habib is just better in grappling than all the one fifty five. He's a specialist, right? right? Right. He's a specialist, and and like John isn't a specialist anywhere. Right. There's nothing that he's like a black belt level at. So how do you think he's going to do with heavyweight? I think was I, I think it's matchup specific, but I think he does generally well. Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple guys that give him some serious problems. Um. I think it's unfortunate if I'm John Jones that the Stipe fight hasn't come together because I think that's probably one of the best matchups at the top of the for division. John. For John, yeah. Because of speed? Uh, I think just size in general. Like, Stipe's pretty big right now, but, like, when he by the time he gets to a fight, Stipe's pretty lean, so he's only about 235, you know? Right. When, by the time he gets in fight shape and he's ready to go, he's probably 250 right now, but... Um, John is getting jacked. Yeah, John's big. John, he was big at 205. He was bigger than Stipe as a light heavyweight. So I think that there's some of that. I think Stipe's getting a little bit older. I think John's faster. I think he moves better. Stipe's very boxing heavy. He doesn't kick a lot, which changes the range that he fights at. Um, Did John have unnatural physical strength at all, like in the clinch or on the ground? No, which was really surprising. He, he uses his leverage really well, like in the clinch up against the fence. And so he's, you can just, you can tell he's a, fantastic wrestler he uses leverage very well but there, i didn't ever feel like a raw power strength I think he's not super powerful in his boxing you know but he's i remember he threw an overhand one time and i seen it coming for like an hour because it, it was like his wingspan was so big and it was just it was fast for sure so he's pretty fast for his size well i can appreciate how introspective you are on your own 
performance in there. Was it a failure to pull the trigger? Well, to be fair, I seen it coming for an hour and he still hit me with it. So, well, that's there you go. <laughs> There's so, some so of that. Like, like yeah. the competitor in you, what what is the burning feeling the most that you could have done more, that you should have done more, that your game plan was yeah, off just, of what you? Planned? I think my game plan was was way off. Um, he's one of those guys that I think you see some things on film and then you get there and they're not there, <laughs> or you watch the film and you completely miss stuff like the the lower body like we kind of generally glossed over the oblique kicks and front kicks like we talked about them but it wasn't a real big point in the training camp it wasn't like a big focus I was worried about his reach and and staying out of the wrestling exchanges and and like things along those lines and then we get there the reach is not a problem the the takedown attempts were generally not a huge deal um, because his he, he didn't have any intention of grappling with me anyways. So anytime he took me down, he backed out fast. So the takedowns ended up not being an issue anyways. Um, but the lower half stuff that we just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's going to watch this, this, and this, like, yeah, you'll be all right. Uh, it was not all right there. That was that was part of the issue. And I was kind of stuck in neutral the whole time. Like, I, I watched a lot. I got caught watching a lot. Is there something about the, the they say, the you know, the lights are brighter in the pay-per-view main event level? Is there any, does that become a factor that you have to overcome from fight week through walking out to the cage as the damn pay-per-view main event? Uh, I, I think that I think that argument can be made. I don't feel like it was an issue. Mm. I don't feel like I cracked under the pressure. I think I just had the worst night of my life, you know, just competitively. And honestly, that's probably a lot to do with John. I think that Wink and those guys and Brandon Gibson are, are fantastic coaches. I can't say enough great things about about those guys as far as their coaching ability and the their game planning. So I, I think they game planned really well for me, and I think John executed very well. Um, so I, I'm not just saying I had a bad night and John got lucky. I think that I think it's a mixture of the two. Interesting. Can we talk a little bit more about your injuries? Because I see you got the scars on your hands now. Oh yeah. Like yeah. What, what happened there? Uh, so th this one. I had two surgeries on this one after the Gustafson fight. I threw a nasty check hook. I mean, it was it was so dirty. And Gus seen it late and went like that and tucked his chin. I hit him right on top of the head and just shattered my hand. So hell. it was awful. So yeah. that was that was early second round. You know how you know a fighter's like I've been around for a while? It's because their hands are completely fucked. Oh yeah. We had, had the Corey, we had Corey Anderson in here. Oh, oh yeah. His fucking hands. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, they're just shit growing they're, out of them. They're flipping off people across the street without realizing. <laughs> yeah, there's like gremlins popping out. You can't put water on it after midnight and shit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I got the ugliest fucking hands. So what, what happened with the other one? The other one, first break was on Josh Neer. Um, it's amazing that, by the way, you're a 205er and you fought Josh fucking Neer, man. Yeah, that's wild. That's just, a, yeah. that's some the old first time I fought him was shit a, right there. The first time I fought him was a catchweight at 175. Uh, and then the second time I fought him was at middleweight. Um it was weird. He was my first fight when I got cut from the UFC, and he beat me. And he was my last fight on the regional scene before I got resigned. Mm. Wild thing. The, the the original dentist. The original dentist. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hold on, hold on. I want to go through this. So you got the hands that are fucked up. Yeah. Where yeah. else have you had surgery? It's like your ankle in particular. Yeah, I right? just had surgery. So there's a my new Ooh, my newest. That's a nice um, little thing. Fresh. Yeah. 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 That's a new one. So that was in the alkali fight. Um, I had so I fought Ryan Spann, tore my LCL. Had surgery, okay. um, and then while they were in there, they did a scope or whatever, and then two weeks later, uh, ended up with a staph infection, so I had to go back in, do a washout. That's fun. Uh, I was on a pick line doing IV antibiotics at home for like seven weeks. 
took me 10 months to get back from that because Jesus. staph infection just absolutely wrecks. Like it wrecks everything. Like it'll just turn the muscle off. So right. then it took forever to get it firing. It also again. weakens tendons and ligaments. Yeah, yeah, crazy atrophy. And so it took me 10 months to come back <laughs> to the uncle I fight to then break my ankle. Um, so then I had, well, now I got the blood clot. I don't know if you guys knew that. I got a blood clot. Where do you have a blood clot? It's my calf. Dude, those are fucking dangerous. Yeah, you can man. die. Yeah. Oh, I know. For sure. Damn. So what is the plan for that? Uh, I've been on blood thinners since September 6th, I believe. <laughs> Dude, or, oh, that's wait. a long time. I fought July 30th. Yeah, so September 6th. I've been on blood thinners. Uh, so well, like when I fly, like traveling here, I do injections in my stomach. Do you really? Yeah. To in back, the dead to, spot that to, John Jones did? Or? No, but honestly, in that spot, it does feel weird because I have to alternate sides. Damn. Yeah. Okay. What about your shoulders? Are they all right? Shoulders are good. I actually haven't had neck. too many. No, my neck is trashed. Your neck is trashed? Neck is trashed for sure. Yeah. I, I need uh, the same surgery that Bisbing, Weidman, Aljo, the disc replacements. Oh, right. I need two new ones. And the, your dentist must be a rich motherfucker every time you roll up in there. Huh? Yeah, right? Yeah, they uh, they enjoy me there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your we, smile keeps improving, though, with each other. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> we got a plan for you, Anthony. Come yeah. here. Uh, and then, yeah, my sh I've been super fortunate to not have any shoulder injuries because shoulders are tough to come back from. Yeah, I had this one. Okay, little trivia over. question. Before the ankle, can Anthony Smith dunk with ease? Ooh. I'll say yes. No. No? No. Nope. Oh. What? You don't have ups? No, not really. I don't believe that. No, I bet I, bet. I can touch the rim. <laughs> but I, I bet with like a little bit of practice, you could do it. Yeah, I think if I focused on it, I yeah, yeah. Could. Okay. But I've tried a couple times; it's never worked out. Okay. I got bad knees though. I've always had knee problems, like real bad knee issues. Yeah, dude. You know, I I, I tell you what. How old are you now? 34. 34. I got to tell you, Anthony, at 34, the way I felt, and I'm not a world-class athlete, I'm, not, I'm nothing, but just as a person trying to do shit in the world, mm -hmm. at 34, you could definitely tell, okay, this is not quite like 24. Dude, let me warn you. Let me warn you. After 40, it goes down a fucking cliff. I cannot overstate the difference. It is as advertised. So how, how do guys like Dan Henderson last so long? Well, remember, Dan was on TRT for a while. Yeah, that I was is, that is say, a thing. You know, that is these thing. Brazilian, Fair. that's probably the answer. Right? Uh, loaded but also, people. you know, Dan's also a very special athlete. That's Listen, fair. they're, of course, to any or like scenario. Anderson. Anderson fighting right now. Like, that's insane. Could be the supplements, <laughs> I right. guess. I guess if we're, yeah. You know, Jesus fair. and acai are popular. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Did you watch the ADCCs? Oh, yeah, dude. Did you? The steroid Olympics? The, the freaks. Yeah. At that, oh, my, so I, like during my last training camp, I went and grappled with, uh, I trained with Nicky Rod. Oh, he's a handful. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever been yeah. through. The guy's a purple belt. I didn't even, I, I almost wanted to leave my black belt there. Like you can, <laughs> I don't deserve this. There's like, there's but, but here's black the thing. Belt, like I'm a good black belt. Like I've competed in. I know, I know some guys roll belts. with you. They've told me that. And he fucking starched me for like an hour and a half. I can't tell you if we rolled, we rolled for like an hour and a half. If we're just, if we said we were in there for 90 minutes of rolling, I couldn't pinpoint 35 seconds where I was in a, <laughs> in a not not dominant position, in a neutral position. Holy I fuck. didn't, I did, I spent under a minute in a neutral position. Fuck he barbecued me. Yeah, yeah. Those guys. It's funny. A buddy of mine is a uh, Ryan Hall black belt, and I've been asking him like, like, how the fuck is this guy? Because remember when he went to 80s, not this past ADCC, but the cycle prior. Mm -hmm. He also did well. He was a blue belt at the time. He had beaten um, 
Orlando Sanchez. Remember, yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. Carino black belt. And uh, I was asking him, he's like, well, how is it possible? How is it fucking possible for a guy to do this? And his basic argument was, like, he doesn't know the full totality of jujitsu, like, in that way. But the part he's got down, he can weaponize against almost any level. Well, he closes you, he boxes you into just that. Too. Yes. Like, he's very good at keeping you in that box. Right, that's right. I feel like if I would have gotten outside of that box, like, if I could have got him in close guard, think I could have slowed it down a little bit. Right. But I never got there. It was... But like, how, like how is Nicky Rod's guard game? It's probably not great. It's probably not. You know what I mean? Close to the level. But and his, he never touched my legs. Yeah, but his leg locks and his top control are uh, fucking... Craig Jones did the same thing to me. He never touched my legs and dusted me. Really? Dusted me. Did you go down to B team? Like, how did you... No, I trained with... I went to B team and trained with Nicky. Um, but I trained with Craig at the Apex before that... Um, that we did that. Like, oh, the quintet. The quintet event. Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, so uh, I trained with Craig there, and that was my first experience. Even with, like, I fought Hodge Gracie, and we were in a lot of grappling exchanges. Craig Jones was my first world. I was like, wow, this this is different. This is a totally different. I've been in there with a lot of really good black belts. I've trained with a lot of good ones. It's unfair to those guys to even say that they're, like, black belt level. Like, it's it's almost unfair to guys like me. We're like, we're not the same. Like there's, don't <laughs> there should put, be another belt level. There should or be another belt level above black. Whatever that is is what Craig and you know all those guys. It's impossible to explain. How and then to there. watch someone beat Nikki, what's it's unfathomable to me. It doesn't make my brain can't. Go, Gordon it. did it in two and a half minutes. That what my brain can't. I can't accept that. Even I watched it with my own eyes. Yeah, yeah. But, to watch a guy that did what he did to me, like he manhandled me for 90 minutes. To watch it happen to him is, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it bothers me, They're to be honest with you. They're specialists. Like he's, the Gordon Ryan's not human. And, I've, and I've, you know, it's funny. I've been asking like really good grapplers, like professional grapplers, mm -hmm. like, you know, explain to me why Gordon Ryan's so good. They kind of struggle with it actually a little bit. They don't have like a unified theory of his greatness. They're just kind of like, well... I can tell you why Nikki's good. Tell me why Nikki's good. I mean, for the same reasons we just talked about. Like, he's very good. His his over-under passing is really, really good. His body lock passing I heard is his good. body lock is His tremendous. body lock passing is fantastic. And he's... He does a good... guy run the pipe, too. He, he does a good job at keeping people out of actual positions. So, like, we were never in half guard. We were never in, like, side control. Like, even his back control is different. It's it's So it's hard to defend because it's not your traditional positions. Right. He's athletic as shit. He's strong as fuck. He, he keeps you, he just, he got, he constantly keeps you defending while he's being, it's like you're defending in the past, but he's already going to the submission. Right. So, but I, like Gordon, I can't even, I can't even, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, it's amazing. Hey, I want to talk to you about something that I think would be, you'd be the most appropriate guest for this, given how BC has been, you know, not the nicest, but also I've had my own problems with, finding the right lane for like what is fair and appropriate fighter criticism what does that sound like and the reason why i think i think it's important for you to be in this conversation is for two reasons one i think you've been at the receiving end of some of that mm -hmm. but two you might be dishing it out because now that you've been doing commentary yeah. i have seen fighters get quite upset with you for sure in certain scenarios what does responsible fair criticism sound like what are the rules you employ I think that I think if you're a professional athlete at this level, anything that you do in the octagon is fair. It's fair game to criticize. 
Um, I don't ever talk about anybody personally. I don't talk about anyone's. I never talk about John Jones' personal life. Like that's an example. Like, it's hard I, to ignore. And, and it is. It's very. It's hard to. It's harder to avoid it than it is to talk about. I don't know it. how you could talk trash so, with him and not do that because it's like the only. Right. You know, it's like the, yeah. I've I've never really attacked him personally. Um, I've never talked about his decision making unless it's like a legal thing where it's a story. Right. But as far as like his personal life, never talked about it ever. Never criticized him for it. But. Um, I, I mean, I'm just I'm just honest with what I see as far as their skill set and their abilities. I, I think that all that is fair. Um, and as mad as I've gotten at people for criticizing me, I still think that it's fair. Um, and fighters do get very, very upset. Are you Especially surprised at how uh, upset they, they get mad at DC too? Because it's real. The What hurts the most is the things that are true. And I think that some of it is is fighters' egos. I, I think we all have a little bit of an ego. I think you have to, to to compete at this level. Of course. So I think when people are critical of something that you're so passionate about and you work so hard on, I think that that's, you know, I get upset when people criticize my commentary or, or my desk work because I'm so passionate about it and I work so hard at it. So, again, though, I'm the one. I put myself out there. I put myself on TV, and I leave myself open for criticism. That's fair. I mean, sometimes, you know, I know that because we have so many hours to fill and we do an entertainment show that, you know, we can go too far and anyone can hear that at any time and get and get super upset. I also get that no one wants to see people like me talking about the actual, uh, you know, analysis of it and they could just be like, fuck off. I but, think that's some of it too. But you I, have that respect factor being that you're not only been there, you're still there. Does that, does, shouldn't that get you out of any of these issues or are fighters still mad because you didn't believe in I've, them? I've only what? had one say it to me. I've seen people upset about it online, yeah. but I've only had one person come to me face to face about it. Can you tell? Um, can you tell us about it? Yeah, it was Cynthia Calvillo. Really? She was. She was upset. She was upset. Um, From something you said at the desk? Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, I was. I don't remember who she fought. I wish I could remember the girl's name. But essentially, what I, I picked against her, um, and the picks like. For any fighters listening to this, the picks are bullshit. Like, the analysis is true. We just have to pick, but we don't always. Telling, I hate doing picks. We don't always know. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, like, I can tell you if this, this, and this happens, here's who will likely win. Right. If this person doesn't do this, here's likely. I can win. lay out a case for you. Right. But I don't know how convincing it is. You don't get visions. I get it. I saw well, Woodley well, I can't, well in advance, all right? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how they slept last night. I don't know if they have injuries. I don't know how banged up they are. I, like, you could, we did all this analysis and all this breakdowns and all these picks on the, on the Aljo TJ Dillashaw fight. And then he, he went in there one armed and incapable of winning. Right. So, like, I mean, that's it's all for that tells That tells you all you need to know. So, um, but I had said in the, in the analysis that if Cynthia Calvillo wasn't able to get into grappling exchanges and get a takedown and force the grappling, that she was not going to be able to win the striking and that she probably would be unlikely to win. Okay. Um, but then if this girl, I wish I could remember who it was, but if she was able to keep it striking, that Cynthia was going to lose that. So I thought it would be one-way traffic if each one of those girls got to their spots. That's fair. Turns out Cynthia Calvillo loses all the striking exchanges, wins all the grappling exchanges, and the fight's a fucking draw. So, like, I couldn't have been any more right. Right. And, but I think it's sometimes the way that – I think – the way that they listen to it is not always the way that maybe I mean it, if that makes any sense. Marina Rodriguez, was that the fight our staff is telling us? Probably. Okay. Probably. Was that a draw? Was that a draw? Was it the draw gaff? Yes, yes, it was. It was. Okay. Yeah, then that would have been it. Yeah, the Marina Rodriguez fight. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. I, 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 now that I'm older, I try to, uh, I think my rule is uh, try to be as humane as possible. Yeah. Try to be as understanding as possible. And, um, 
you know, not to cut you off, but the humane thing is really hard in some of the fights. Like Carla Esparza this week, it's it's a tough one. Yeah. Like Caitlin Shukagian versus Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. It's it's really tough to like. How do you say I don't see a path for this? How do you say it in a way that's not going to hurt her feelings? Right. Yeah. Like I, there's. I don't know that you can. I can't. I, don't know that you can. I, I can't. Like I really like Caitlin Shukagian. I I'm. Although she doesn't have the most fan appeasing style, I appreciate her game and and how hard it is to do fight the way she fights. I just there was no path to victory that I seen for her. So then it's hard to like sit, sit up there on ESPN and like I can't convince the viewer that there's a path to victory for her. There isn't. Like I think Carla Sparza is one of the sweetest people that I've ever talked to. I think that her run and her career and what she's been able to do up to this point is amazing. I don't see a path to victory for her tonight. I just don't. I could she slow Whaley down a little? I don't. Probably not. I don't think so. But where, where do you say? How do you say that without being a dick? You you can't. You have to be honest, and then you have to get to a point where right. you're just like, for me to do my job the right way, I can't worry about who I offend, and I don't want to be right. enemies with anybody, and I don't want to one day get my ass kicked in public either. But I also can't stop being the best I can at the job. That's just. I mean, you got to mm -hmm. get to that point. But since you're in the interesting position where you're on both sides, media and fighter, when you see the recent scenario that happened with T.J. Dillashaw against Aljo, connected with the fact that we as media praised, I think rightfully so, Francis Ngannou for knowing he had an injury against Gan, yet mm -hmm. going in there given his contract status and gutting it the hell out when he shouldn't even been walking. But then when TJ does something somewhat similar, we kind of villainized him. And I think we were right based on the facts that TJ gave himself in the post-fight interview. But you know the fighter side, which is maybe he really needed that, that paycheck. Maybe it had nothing to do with the paycheck. He denies I don't know. That. He denies that it's the paycheck. How do you see that <clears throat> since you're on both sides? I think those are different. Knees and shoulders are completely different. You can have a bad, a, you know, like what Conor tore is ACL or something in that first in that Max Holloway the, uh, fight. Yeah, well, in, during the Holloway fight, and then he right. had a fucked up knee during the Mendez fight. Like, depending on the injury, you can get through knee injuries and still win fights. Like, I tore my LCL in the Ryan Spann fight, was able to get a win. There's not too many guys that got blown shoulders that are coming out of sockets that, that you're still able to fight. Like, your arms are pretty important. Um, not that your legs aren't, but I think those are just completely different injuries. Well, dude, the knee only... The hip rotates, but the knee only bends one way. Right. The shoulder goes in any number of different directions. Sure. It's a much more mechanically complex joint, mm -hmm. which means it's way more fragile. Uh, I, I've had this one repaired from stupid-ass weightlifting accident. It's probably not the same. It's never been the same. Right. It, it never, never been be. the same. It's yeah. still good enough to do what I basically <clears throat> need. But, like, if you do, like, if I do high reps on anything, I can feel the burn inside the shoulder joint yeah. in a way that never, ever appeared on this one. Yeah, it's different. So I think shoulders are different. But I also, there's no, again, I'm speaking in absolutes, I guess. So I try not to do that. But there's no way that they all thought he was going to win. There's no way. You can't right. beat Aljamain Sterling, a grappler, a wrestler, with one arm. And it, by the way, like, there's no way that they thought he could win. And by the way, if he was fully healthy, how would that fight have gone? Probably who the hell knows, right? I don't know. Yeah. But one of the things that, dude, I'm a fucking zero. Even I was like, dude, I don't know. Aljo catching those kicks is going to be a problem for him. Mm -hmm. Look at the Yawn fight. Like, that was a key weapon. Right. Sure enough. Yeah. Sure enough. First one he catches and mm -hmm. then posts and the problems begin. Right. I'm like, dude, what kind of risk calculus is this? I just what did what did he think was going to happen? I have no fucking idea. That's that's where I'm at with this. So like, what does he do when he's in that spot where I don't know how much he's going to have left? I don't know if his body can hold together. 
maybe he never gets another title opportunity and given the big gaps in his career. I mean, was the one he had worth it? Well, what should he have done? I mean, I guess he should have, when he says in April his shoulder got injured and it was, you know, popping out 20-something times during camp. To me, that's a sign. Should he? And, if by he the way, did you hear he also had staff? So he had staff that had to take medicines for it, which made the the right. everything weaker to begin mm-hmm. with. It's like, dude, what? What are you doing? This is not. You are not. I mean, this. I'm, the this, fucking arrogance. If he actually believed he could win like that, insane. Is unmatched. Okay. If that's. I know act, if he actually believed that. I know he's super tough, mm-hmm. and there, maybe there is a part of him that believed that. I understand that, but it's it's and I. You got to accept that there's going to be a degree of irrationality according to normal people that fighters are going to embrace. Mm-hmm. This is indefensible irrationality. It is. It's it's too far. And it's, also, dude, people are paying tickets for this shit. They're buying pay per views for that. They're not buying that for you to be right in the condition where you can't yeah. fight. It, I think it goes into some of the betting issue too that right. we're, that we're having. Like, no, I will that, give his team credit they 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 kept it under wraps. Very, yeah, which was they did good. a great job. Yeah. They did a great job keeping it hidden. But like, there's a reason that in most other professional sports, you have to like there's reports on injury. There's injury reports right. that have to come out, and that a large part of that is so that betters are aware of who's injured and who's not injured. Like, I'm not gonna if you're, if you're betting football like and the starter's injured, you don't want to put the bet in and then you don't know that until the game starts. Right. Like, that's that's not necessarily fair. So, like, right. I'm not saying that fighters need to start reporting their injuries because you just – everyone would have to report. And I don't know how you – I don't know how you – I don't know how do you make sure that nobody's lying. You know what I mean? Like, you how do you enforce that? There's no, yeah, there's no way to enforce that. But um, I think on the betting side of that, that looks really ugly. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's talk about this with the time we have remaining, which is – um, I don't know with this what your prognosis to return is. Tell me about that first, and then tell me secondly, like what's a, what does 2023 look like if it's a good year for you? So I'm hoping to fight at the end of March. Um, I should I should be off of the blood thinners pretty soon. The okay. blood clot stuff's going well, so um, I'm, as far like I'm I'm still going through physical therapy. I'm in strength and conditioning. I just can't do any uh, like contact stuff because I'm on so much. Like the blood thinners are so heavy that. I took a hard shot to the head, like they're worried about brain bleeds and right. and and all those issues. So I can't do any contact stuff right now, but I'm hitting pads and training and as much as I can. So I'm hoping to fight at the end of March. And then if it's a good year, I'd like to I'd like to fight March and then maybe like October. That would be ideal for me. And then I'm gonna chase the title again. I think I was really close. I think I think a win over Uncle Life would have gotten me there. Um I think that would have been enough to to have the. I don't think they would have made the Glover Yuri rematch. I think that would have been. If you had beaten Uncle Live? Yeah. 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 I, th- I think. Um, so I, I think I'm thinking I'm a couple away. You know, I think I can get another win. If I get a big win, I think it would take maybe one more, and, and, I, and I think we're back in a title shot. So I wanna, it's always been the goal, man. Is as soon as I don't think I can win the title, as soon as I'm not competitive, there's no reason for me to be here anymore. You know, I. Mm-hmm. I I'm lucky enough that I've created a lot of opportunities for myself outside of fighting that I'm not here to not here to stick around till I'm 40. You know what I mean? I already got over 50 fights. I'm I don't want to I don't want to overstay my welcome. You know, I I feel like I took I think you got to kind of pass that torch and I don't mean that in like some way where I'm trying to be some super humble guy like I took the shine from Rashad and I took it from Shogun and maybe took it from Gus a little bit. Um, 
once I pay that back a couple times and I'm not competitive with those young guys anymore, uh, they can fucking have it and <laughs> and, and I'll be done. Um, yeah. I don't want to stick around for fun well, fights and money fights. Separate from the title, what you're telling us, that's that's your focus. If it's not mm-hmm. the title, I don't want to be there and I respect mm-hmm. that. Is there anybody that you're like, well, if we can make it work, I'd really like to fight them. And that could be, I can make a lot of money against them. I want to get them back. I mean, is there anybody that you're like, man, I need to fucking fight that guy again? Not off the top of my head, but I would like, like Masvidal's pretty lucky. Like he's got he's gotten to have like a couple really fun fights. Like I think one, one fight that maybe doesn't really mean a lot, like divisionally or in the rankings. Or I, I think one super fun one that's just because it makes sense because people would like to watch it. Um, you know, the, a big old fat check wouldn't be terrible either. But like the the BMF title thing would need that's just fun it didn't it meant nothing I don't think anybody cared who really won or lost that fight it did nothing one way or the other for either one of those guys um, I think one of those would be fun I just don't know who that would be with um, would you ever when I was when I was younger I think like a Nick Diaz thing was always a lot of fun to me yeah. like I think a Nick Diaz obviously not now that would be unfair and feel gross but th- like something like that would be a lot of fun part of you want to rematch Maheta no he's gone he's gone anyway yeah no yeah. no yeah. there's nothing there was nothing run. there was nothing fun about that yeah yeah it was, <laughs> it was not a lot of fun it was not a lot of fun i felt like that dude hit me with a baseball bat a couple times yeah but you, the the rackage one i think you want back right for sure for sure he's all he he, is he's banged up too huge yeah he's a big boy i seen him in paris yeah and <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> walked up to him and said how much do you weigh Take a guess. How much do you think he weighs? So we're off camp, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, he's out of camp. 240? 250. Ooh. Damn. He is with with like like when we met, we shook hands and quick hug. And you know, I'm you know, I'm scoping him out still, so I give him a little pat on the stomach. Full six pack. Full six pack, two fifty. Like two forty seven, I guess. Huge. And you're like, I want to fist fight this man. I do. <laughs> I do. Like, like he's a la- large heavyweight. Like the last thing I'd want to do. He's like a um average to large size heavyweight it was it was crazy i couldn't believe how big he was you could fight a heavyweight for for like for fucks i would i would actually when i was trying to get there when i was before i got the uncle i fight i was willing to fight anybody so like there was like some heavyweights that i was totally willing to fight like like john jones like a small i would totally fight john jones but i like was asking for some some of the smaller heavyweights uh and they just no one was available but i would have for sure that'd be sick that would be. That'd be kind of fun to go see a guy from middleweight go up to heavy. That's some Fedor shit. Yeah, it'd be yeah. cool to get a win in like three different weight classes. That would be. There's not many guys who can say that. Mm-mm. I think there's a, there, Andrade has wins in three different weight classes. 115, 125, Frankie. 135. Frankie's Frankie. got wins. Yeah. And some other ones. Conor yeah. McGregor. How about Frankie? Does Frankie get win? Does he win tonight? Well, this will be out afterwards. I don't know, dude. Gutierrez is good. Yeah, he's pretty good. Those leg kicks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, was, this is... The, it, Father, look, the gray is eating my face, you know. <laughs> I know. But Frankie on that dais uh, this week, he looked old. Yeah. He looked old. Yeah. You know? He's like always had like a semi-youthful kind of yeah. vibe wasn't, to him. He wasn't super playful looking. No. Mm-hmm. No, no. He's no. been through the ring. It ringer. scared me. Uh, what, do, what are your non-fighting goals? I mean, do you, do you, how do you look at this broadcasting run? And, you know, I see you with Bizping. I see you with a lot of people. I mean, you're, you're making, you're starting fresh shows. You're making a lot of appearances. You're mm-hmm. really getting the reps in. Is there an end game in there? What's your what what drives you in the broadcasting side? Well, eventually, I want to get to the cage side stuff, you know, and do the color. Um, I think my skill set is better utilized cage side. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not I'm not a great promotional guy. Like Bisping and Chael and DC, on top of being fantastic minds, they're they're really good at getting people excited. Yeah. Like they sell pay-per-views better than like better than anybody. So I'm not the promotional guy. I'm not that's not my strong suit. I'm not the the rah-rah, let's get pumped. You know, that's just not me. So I think that being I think I'm closer to like a Paul Felder, like very analytical and, and can explain to you the what and the why and 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 do it in a way that I think the the casual fan can understand. So I I, I want to make it to the cage side stuff eventually. But the problem is, is the 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 America based team is so strong. There's just not a place for me. Right. You know, it's and that's a obviously a huge positive for the UFC. It's it's hard to break into that group because those guys are so good. So. I think once we start traveling again and you start getting those more international shows, I think that, you know, DC and Felder aren't going to want to do the small shows in Brazil yeah. all the time. You have seen Moncton. Yeah, no, they're, they're not going to want to do a lot of those. So I think that that's maybe where I can cut my teeth and have an opportunity to to get in there. You fought oh. Uzdemir on one of those shows. Moncton. Moncton, yeah. 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 Moncton. <laughs> that guy was tough. What province is Moncton in? Is it Saskatchewan? I don't know. I don't know. Is it like Prince yeah. Edward Island or something? I don't know. It's probably up at JP's house in Nova Scotia there. It was Nike. It was a weird place. Very nice people. but Well, this is a weird place. This is a weird place. You find yourself in weird places all the time <laughs> when you hang around us, man. I do. Well, I got to tell you, Anthony, it's been wonderful having you here, man. Yeah, that time just flew by, it, man. It did. Uh, so you, you think March, maybe? Yeah, yeah I'm looking at end of March. And what can, where can folks find your podcast? Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, we have the Believe in Me podcast <laughs> um, on anywhere you can find podcasts. You working with uh, Brantendo on that shit? Who? Brantendo64. <clears throat> no. Yeah, I think he was the producer there, or right. he was Bisping's YouTube guy. He was a turn call. I think he, maybe he, maybe he's the guy that does Bisping's YouTube stuff. I think that's that right. right. Just Bisping's own. Oh wait, quick, stuff. quick final question in this about sort of what could be next for you. <coughs> I, you know, we cover Jake Paul for a living at times through Showtime, and mm -hmm. we we feel like we give fair analysis. You've been critical, mm -hmm. you know, coming off of the Nate win of, you know, well Jake's getting really good, man. So um, maybe he should be fighting bigger opponents. We just saw Uriah Hall make the transition. Do you have any post UFC itch? And don't say, "Yeah, I'm going to be the next champion in the slap dick league." I mean, what the hell's going on, Dano? Spend your money uh, somewhere else. I um, was at the pilot event. Yeah. I called as a commentator for the pilot event for the yeah. slap fighting. Yeah, what am I missing here? Why? Why do I think this is was trash and this is fucking great? awesome? Yeah, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. If you took the top ten knockouts I've ever seen live in my whole life, five of them happened that day. Not a lot of defense in that league. Not man. a lot of defense. No, and the people that signed to do that are exactly the type of humans you would imagine they are. Oh, that's they are maniacs, and they're really interesting people. I, I had so much fun. I had a lot. It, All right, if that if you can get broadcasting work there, go get oh it. Oh my god! But do it you have amazing. any interest in this crossover boxing boom? Could we one day see you in the Jake Paul sweepstakes? I mean, what's going on here? No, I don't think so. I, I think it would be fun. Again, like one of those fun kind of weird fights, but. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be one of those guys that retires from MMA because when I retire, it'll be because I can't hang at the highest level anymore. So I don't want to, I don't want to take the, do do the weird boxing crossover, then bare knuckle, then like you know, that's where UFC fighters go to die. Yeah, you know, that's, I don't that, wanna, that's that's I don't MMA that. pornography. It gets I gross say, at the I, end, yeah. To be very fair. I say that, who knows? Because I'm sure lots of guys say that. Well, they may offer a really nice paycheck one time, and you're like, well, that is vacation home right yeah, there. Yeah, like, like Ben Askren was done until he wasn't. Yeah. Right. You know, so like there's organizations out there that got enough money to drag anyone out of retirement. So I don't suspect that happens, but you never know.
Jake Paul would be a fun fight, though, because he is good. You are more his size. Yeah, in his age. You're a little bit bigger than him, but um, yeah. Yeah, and we're closer in age. Not too bad these days. His horse bit Luke, but you know we can move on from that. All right. Well, I just want to say it was great to have you here. Well, thanks, thanks for, for having making me the this. effort to come in studio. Yeah. Um, Omaha Styley, 311. Omaha Styley. Yeah. yeah you, favorite 311 memory? I was really a big 311 fan. Oh, man. That's a lie. Yeah, I don't we're older. That. Isn't that a requirement of citizenship in, in Nebraska? You got to be a Husker fan. Husker fan. Husker fan. Yeah, Husker that's pretty fan. fair. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the great light heavyweight podcaster, commentator, analyst, dad. Lionheart. It's Lionheart. My dad's so hard. Smith. We're out.